0: This is the Daily Signal podcast for Friday, June 30th. I'm Virginia Allen. July 4th is around the corner, and today we're kicking off a three-part Independence Day series. The stirrings of the revolution began long before 1776, according to Hillsdale College professor Dr. Bill McLeay. The colonies were becoming agitated with England's demands, especially when it came to taxes. Dr. Bill McClay is joining us here on the show today to talk about the events that led up to the Revolutionary War and, of course, the crafting of the Declaration of Independence. Stay tuned for our conversation after this. We get it. With big media bias, it's hard to find accurate, honest news. That's why we've put together the Morning Bell newsletter, a compilation of the top stories and conservative commentary. To subscribe, just head to DailySignal.com slash Morning subscription or visit DailySignal.com and click on the connect button at the top of the page. We are joined today by the Victor Davis Hanson Chair in Classical History and Western Civilization at Hillsdale College, Dr. Bill McClay. Dr. McClay, thank you so much for being with us today.
1: Oh, it's my pleasure. And what a wonderful occasion to to, uh, talk about.
0: That's right. We're so excited to be kicking off this series as we head towards the 4th of July, our Independence Day series. And today we're going all the way back to the 1770s to discuss some of the events that led up to the start of the Revolutionary War. So, if you would, let's begin our conversation today by just talking about yeah. some of the original tensions that the colonies had with England. How early did that did that tension and friction begin between the colonies and England?
1: Well, it really, uh, I think, starts in a very important way in the 1760s, mm. after the, the the French, during and after the French and Indian Wars but i i'd like to uh, lay some you know historians say oh, you say oh you haven't gone back far enough you have to go back further so uh, <laughs> i i want to go back to what was distinctive about british colonization and mm-hmm. it was that that it was very um not a not a part of a big planned project it was not a uh, there was no imperial design uh, as a famous historian said, the, the British Empire was founded in a fit of absence of mind. Uh, we had all these different colonies that were run by different proprietors on different principles. Some of them are strictly interested in material wealth, Virginia mainly. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Massachusetts, of course, was uh, a religious refuge, and uh, and there was a kind of utopianism. In it, in Pennsylvania, even in a way in Georgia, uh, a a guiding concept for the humanitarian improvement of the human condition. So uh, meanwhile, the Spanish, who were our main competitors and were really ahead in this process, um, had a very centralized approach to... Colonization. Everything was for the sake of the mother, mother country to extract wealth, not to build settlements. Um, and as a result, uh, the, the, the the British colonies flourished in a way because there was freedom. There was freedom of uh, of exchange. There was there were free markets. There was private property. There was an encouragement of these things. Um, and uh, n- nothing like that on the Spanish end. And it meant that people got used to governing themselves. Now we're getting into issues of the revolution. Mm -hmm. People were accustomed to running their own show because, uh, you know, the mother country wasn't really interested in or able to, to govern, to control very much over that vast expanse of ocean. Mm -hmm. So um, when the, when the, the time comes around for the revolution, This getting back more to your question, the the 1760s, you have the French, 50s and 60s, you have the French and Indian War settled in 1763 with the Treaty of Paris. But uh, one of the things that the Brits realized is that this cost them a lot of money. And uh, they were deeply in debt from fighting the cause of the colonists. Really, they could not have fought on their own. Uh, we don't have time to go into the French and Indian War, but it it is it is definitely is a, with a a marker in uh, the process of the mother country taking responsibility for the colonies for their their remaining British, and there was a strong feeling, not unjustified, that if this is what we're going to be doing, the colonies need to be paying for it, uh, paying something like their fair share, but they were not taxed Parliament did not have the ability to tax the colonies. So it really is issues relating to the British Empire kind of coming of age and as an empire and having leaders who sought often in very ham-handed and even stupid ways, uh, ineffectual ways, to consolidate the, the empire more, to bring the colonies in line, make them pay some of the freight, for their own defense and their own well-being, so you have a series of actions uh, taken by uh, the British government, uh, by the Parliament, by and large, um, to uh, be begin to extract some revenues from the colonies. And the colonies are very irate about it. They, uh, and it's not only this; there was smuggling that went on during the. Uh, French and Indian War, uh, and uh, the British government sought to put a stop to that by uh, uh, enabling their uh, an, an naval ships to impress, uh, as to stop and uh, and uh, take over and ex- extract for trial in in maritime courts in martial courts uh, under martial law, uh, Americans uh, without. Uh, Going through the process of uh, of a formal accusation and you know, depriving them basically of their their legal rights, um, so there are all sorts of things, not just taxation, mm. that that represented intrusions of uh, what had been formerly the practice of self government. Americans believed in self government because they lived self government. Um, they every colony had its own little uh, uh sort of replica of what was going on in the mother country where Parliament and the king were sort of battling for supremacy you have uh, similarly uh, in in each of the of the colonies something like that going on but they were doing their own thing they were not yeah. uh, it, it was not all directly tied to what was going on back in the mother country
0: okay
1: so so yeah, at, go
0: ahead. as this Tension is building and there's this growing frustration. Who are the voices who are calling and saying we really do need independence and who are trying to mobilize the colonies towards that? And who were the voices that were saying, no, we need to stay faithful to the mother country?
1: Well, it changed over time. It was a a gradual process. Um, I think a lot of people don't realize how long it took to get to the point of actually declaring independence. I mean the war had already been going on and without a declaration of independence for a year um, mm-hmm. but uh, but the, the you know the figures many of the figures you know, you know like John adams, Sam adams uh, the uh, Massachusetts was really the hotbed of patriot. Resistance, and we use the term "patriot." Here, we're talking about those in favor of independence, mm-hmm.
0: um, not the I New mean, England Patriots, which I am a fan of. But now, yes. No, 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 <laughs> no. Well, we all have
1: our burdens, but <laughs> <laughs> uh, now it, it, it's not all the Patriots. Uh, the, your Patriots derive from the, these former Patriots uh, for sure, sure. Uh, and and they were uh, and and there were there were quite a number of people of patriotic sentiment who were not necessarily in favor of independence. Um, one good example of that is John Dickinson of uh, of Pennsylvania, who um, was a patriot, who was uh, irate about the uh, uh, intrusion of royal, or, or, or at least of British, authority into what had formerly been American affairs. Um and uh, yet in the end he did not sign the declaration mm. uh, of independence because he felt um well with a, a lot of different feelings but but he also he mainly felt that we couldn't possibly prevail in a war of independence over the greatest military power in the world and it was for the <clears throat> For all involved, this was an enormous undertaking. When they concluded the Declaration by pledging their lives, their fortunes, in sacred honor, they weren't kidding around. Uh, they knew what this was going to mean to make a break like this. So, and yes, Thomas Jefferson, you know, a lot of the, the names that are very familiar to you, uh, who ended up being part of the founding generation and even framers of the Constitution, Hmm. were were advocates for independence but it was a very gradual thing um uh it it there were of course several things that caused it to flame up the um uh, the incidents at lexington and concord um in 1775 april 1775 were cert- that's really when the war begins uh and uh, General Gage's troops were uh, sent, and and by the way, what were General Gage's troops doing there? Well, it was part of the strategy of the British was to, uh, uh, you know, occupy Boston and bring it to heel, because Bo- Boston had been the worst offender in terms of resisting all of the efforts of uh, of the British to bring the colonists to heel. So they would bring Boston to heel. But General Gage uh, took was asked to take a contingent out to Concord, where there was a Patriot armory of sorts, and to seize the weapons and and uh, presumably destroy them or bring them back. Um, and they were met along the way, uh, thanks to Paul Revere, <laughs> who alerted. Uh, Alerted the militias in that area, and that—that's all there were. There weren't there. There, they were militias. There wasn't a Continental Army yet uh, in, involved in in this effort. Um, uh, aroused their uh, awareness, and uh, and they were waiting in Lexington where the first shot was fired, um, and then in Concord where uh, the British found empty. You know, the the armory was empty, and on their way back, they were strafed by the fire of uh, Americans, you know, militiamen, you know, uh, snipers firing at them all the way back, and they had uh, significant losses. And mm. uh, um, and actually, the the so-called Battle at the level of Bunker Hill uh, uh, was another rousing triumph for the colonists, and so. Things looked pretty good at the beginning, but the very day that the Declaration of Independence was signed, uh, the British landed a huge force at Staten Island, and uh, I'm jumping ahead a little bit here, but uh, (laughs) these early victories were not indicative of the way things were going to go for a long time. Now, I want to emphasize that April 1775, between April 1775 and July 4th, 1776, that's a significant passage of time mm-hmm. it took it took a while for the political will to make the break to coalesce uh, and there were several things uh involved i think one thing we have to give an awful lot of credit to is uh, thomas paine's famous uh, pamphlet common sense mm. which was um uh, a a call to arms that was not only it it it, it advanced thinking in, in a couple of different ways. One was that it was a um it was a strong uh endorsement of independence that uh, what what do you have to gain, what do we have to gain? He was a recent immigrant, but he, he immediately uh, adopted the, the colonial cause as his own uh, what do we have to gain anymore from our attachment to mm-hmm. uh, the mother country? Nothing well you know that actually was not entirely true but uh it was uh it was for those who had been through this series of convulsions and boycotts and other efforts to kind of push back against uh, british intrusion it 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 fell true um and second he turned the this into not just a cause of the americans uh deserving their independence from britain <clears throat> but of the americans declaring their independence from monarchy itself mm-hmm. it it was a it was a uh, a republican small r republican document in that sense it was endorsing the idea that we we do not need kings and then and placing the onus for the the uh, tyrannical acts of the british on the king who had actually somewhat been in the background uh, and was uh was was actually very well liked a lot of the uh a lot of the patriots early on uh, distinguished between the the king who they thought was okay and the parliament which they did not think was okay but with Payne's common sense, it all—he focused it on the king as the sole object, the 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 object that stood in place of the whole, um, in uh, the the act of declaring independence and, and finding a new path. So it, then this
0: how oh so please. I just please, want to please. say this was yeah.
1: widely read. It 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 went through a number of printings right off the bat. It was. The numbers are not impressive unless you consider that uh, the percentage of the, I mean, 250,000 people read it or, or bought it, uh, that many, many more read it. Uh, this is at a time when uh, the, 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 the population of the colonies was uh, in, in the, the low single digit of millions. So it's a significant portion of the population were read and were influenced by this document.
0: Very critical. Wow. So then when did Thomas Jefferson actually sit down and begin writing the Declaration of Independence?
1: Well, it was was in the early part of 1776. There was a committee um, and uh, Adams, John Adams and Benjamin Franklin were part of this. Uh, It's Jefferson's document. I think everyone concedes that, um, that it was his... The felicity of his prose style made him the, even though he was a very young man, I think thirty three at that point. But it, it he um, he was a logical choice to do this, and uh, um, it, there was there there were drafts. It's interesting. One of the drafts that we've seen that we has come down to us um, had features a paragraph under the grievances in the Declaration that. That uh, blames the king for slavery, for the existence of slavery mm-hmm. in uh, in North America. Well, you know that was <laughs> nothing. He he had nothing to do with it. He wasn't around for it. He was uh, uh, he done nothing to encourage or discourage it. I mean George the Third. So uh, uh, and that was fortunately taken out because the other grievances were all. Uh, valid. And if you actually read the declaration closely, the it sort of has it sort of has two parts. The preamble, which is the part we're all familiar with, it has a sort of the the fundamental political philosophy of the new nation. And then the grievances, which list all these are all the things that the king did. And they pick up Paine's uh Jefferson picks up Payne's uh a Stylistic change and directs everything towards the king. Almost mm-hmm. everything. There are a few exceptions, but it's it's very much personifies the king as the object of scorn, uh, the tyrant uh, who who deserved to be left behind.
0: I see. Uh, I see. Now, uh, of course, we're we're about to celebrate July Fourth, but the continental the Continental Congress they actually declared America's independence on July 2nd. So yeah. why is it that we celebrate on the 4th?
1: Well, I think it's because of this magnificent document. It, it, is, mm. it was adopted. You know, John Adams famously wrote to Abigail uh, going on and on about how the July 2nd is going to live forever in history. <laughs> and it's sort of typical of John Adams, who, by the way, is my favorite founder, partly because of his quirks and foibles. But... Um, uh, it it's because of this document, which was so much more than just what its title suggests. It was uh it 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 was in a document that has inspired the whole world and continues to. It was being waved around during the Hong Kong protests a few years ago. Always comes up in the language of the of the declaration comes up in all sorts of human rights, liberty, uh democracy pro democracy movements all over the world. It is uh it was foundational in its influence on the French, uh the French Revolution, who I think did their revolution a little less carefully than ours, but that's another subject. <laughs> uh, um so you know, it's influence was vast and I do, often when I'm teaching, I say, well, first and foremost, the Declaration of Independence was a press release to the world. Mm -hmm. Uh, It was saying, this is what we're doing, and this is why we're doing it. Um, But it's much more than that. It is that, very definitely, but it's much more than that. So uh, I think given its eloquence and its eminence, um, it's not surprising that it, uh, becomes the day that we celebrate, but it says something about America that we are, uh, that in some way we are a, we are a country that is inseparable from certain ideals. Uh, that the, the other other uh, countries may say our our national birthday represents these things. We can say we, our national birthday uh, commences with this document that expresses these very high and noble and imperishable sentiments all men are created equal endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights and that when the government becomes abusive of those rights we have the the the, the freedom and the, and the duty even to change that government in other words self-rule that same principle that caused the friction back at the beginning is what is declared in 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 the declaration that that comes at the end of that process and the beginning of our national life
0: Mm. so powerful dr bill mcclay of hillsdale college dr mcclay thank you so much Uh, for being here
1: oh virginia it's my pleasure and you have a happy fourth
0: happy fourth to you as well (laughs) okay and with that that's going to do it for today's episode thanks again for joining us for this First edition of our Independence Day series. We will have two more in this series coming out on Monday and then, of course, on July 4th also. So we look forward to those conversations, both on the Revolutionary War and on the Constitution. But in the meantime, if you haven't had the chance, be sure to check out our evening show right here in this podcast feed where we bring you the top news of the day. And also, take a moment to subscribe to the Daily Signal. It means a lot to us and helps us keep spreading the word to more and more listeners. But we hope you all have a wonderful Friday. We'll see you right back here around 5 p.m. for our top news edition.
1: The Daily Signal podcast is brought to you by more than half a million members of the Heritage Foundation. Executive producers are Rob Bluey and Kate Trinko. Producers are Virginia Allen and Samantha Asheris. Sound designed by Lauren Evans, Mark Guiney, and John Pop. To learn more, please visit DailySignal.com.